as you can see in our bulletin, we are starting a new series, mostly from Samuel, Samuel 1 and Samuel 2. And what we read this morning is Hannah's prayer. She prayed after bringing her young son to Eli in the temple. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, having just read this song of praise, we like to echo the words of Hannah. There is none holy like the Lord, and there is none beside you. As Pastor Andrew walks us through the portion of the books of Samuel, Lord, will you guide his steps, so to speak. And may we hear with our ears and let it sink into our hearts. Make us act upon it and live it out, I pray. Make us understand where our true allegiance ought to be. And this I pray in the name of the one who is our one true king. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. We're going to start with a little audience participation here. I am going to show both my age uh, and my lack of skill, uh, but I think you can help me. Name this theme. Dun, 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 dun. 
Indiana Jones, very good. All right, more skill than I thought. Uh, let's, let's try this one. Um, I forgot it. <laughs> uh, I've got a different one in my mind. Let, let's try this. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and who in particular? And, and so when we get the good guys in Star Wars, it is... Dun, yeah, there we go. Dun, that's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, dun, 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 dun. So we have these, these musical themes, these melodic lines that underlie these stories, and they help us to know, like, good guys, bad guys, who's coming up? Uh-oh, hear this Darth Vader, the Imperial March, you know, here he comes. You know, we've got the other, ah, that must be Luke, something good is going on here at this particular here comes Indy to save the day. The melodic line, if we are able to follow that, helps us to identify what is going on in the story. I would contend that uh, Scripture is, is full of melodic lines, both micro and macro. Uh, micro, every text of Scripture that we read, we have to discern, you know, what is going on at this particular moment, what are the sounds that we hear, what are the themes being explored, and then we have to take it and we have to fit it into the broader line of the story, uh, which helps us to connect with not just what is going on in this very little part, but what is going on in this bigger part. And what I want to do with you this morning is, as we start Samuel, and, and really all of Samuel is one book. We have first and second, I, I think because they ran out of scroll length, uh, but it, it's one continuous narrative, uh, and it's the story of kingship in Israel. It's the story of Israel's desire for a king. It's a story of God's granting them a king. It's a story, ultimately, of God's leading to the king, uh, the one who will sit on the throne of David forever, even Jesus Christ. And so, as such, it, it has a melodic line all throughout. For itself, but it also has uh, a melodic line that connects it to the bigger story. So I have three sort of purposes today. I want to look at uh, 1 Samuel 2, which John read for us, uh, 2 Samuel 22, which between these two songs, which we read large portions of in the call to worship and uh, all throughout, between you know, 1 Samuel 2 and 2 Samuel 22, they form the bookends of the book of Samuel. And, and if you study them, which I commend to you this afternoon, you know, read through those, study them, you know, highlight, get out your pens, look at all of that, and, and you'll see there's, there's just a repetition of themes there that are intended to say this is what this book is about. Uh, everything in between it uh, points to the reality of it. The third song that sort of breaks into that is the song that's also printed to you, for you in your bulletin that we didn't read, but it's 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's the lament that David has for Saul and Jonathan. And these three songs, they're pretty much the only songs in the book, uh, form sort of the melodic line that help us understand that. 
And part of my purpose in sharing that with you today is as we walk through Samuel, I want us to be able to rightly interpret it. You know, sometimes we, we have this problem, especially when we're in the Old Testament, uh, of how to connect it to the overall story. Uh, and, and so sometimes we'll come up against stories, and uh, Samuel is full of them, you know, most famously David and Goliath, and we'll say, oh, there's lots of lessons that we can draw from here. We're not to back down from the giants in our life, and, you know, we can find our five smooth stones, and with one of these stones we can slay the giants, all of these different things. There may be some truth in that, but that's not the overarching point of that story. And if we don't know sort of the through line, it's going to be hard for us to connect it. So rightly interpreting Samuel means that we have to have this right prism to look through in order to hear the the melodic line. Uh, Secondly, one of my purposes for today is not only for Samuel, but also to connect with the overarching themes of the Scripture. You know, how does this story help us to understand the great story of Scripture and learning to discern those things? And lastly, I've already alluded to it, and you see it on the front of your bulletin, and we're going to sing about it uh, following. Uh, This is a book about kingship, and it just seems entirely appropriate for us to, to dig into this a little bit because we have a really uneasy relationship with with kingship. You know, for one, we we live in a republic. We like to think that we don't have kings and queens in monarchy. They've got that in other places in the world. But the reality is uh, there is a king in the world, and and that's part of the point that we're going to see uh, this morning. And we have to learn how to relate to the one true king But secondly, you know, we have this uneasy relationship because we really desire a king. Uh, We really long for uh, somebody to rule and to reign over our lives. And part of the way that we know that is the things that we look to when we don't have Jesus on his throne in our hearts. You know, we we look to so many things to be our Lord and our master, our king and our sovereign. We look to our jobs, we look to our relationships, we look to uh, we look to political parties and all of these different things. We we're longing for a king. But what the scriptures are inviting us to is to long for the right king, the true king the gracious king, the merciful king, the one who loves us even as we long for him. So that's kind of the overarching. This is one of those sermons that we're, we're dealing with big, broad themes, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into a little bit more of the particulars uh, next week as we go back and look at 2 Samuel 1. So what, what are the themes? Well, I've already alluded to one, uh, the, the fact that there is a king. So if you remember, you know, Samuel comes uh, on, the, on the back end of, of the judges. I know some of our women have been going through the book of Judges, and you will know that the theme for the time of the judges was that there was no 
There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, and, and it's into this void then that we meet the three major characters of Samuel. We meet Samuel, uh, the king maker. Uh, we meet Saul, the, the anti-king, the king of, of the, the nation's choosing. And then we meet David, who is the true king, the one of God's own choosing, in whom he will establish his house forever. But, but, it's not true that there was no king in Israel. Uh, the, the, the nation was clamoring for a king like the other nations, but what they were failing to recognize is that they always had a king, and, and his name was Yahweh, and he was reigning, and he was ruling, and he had always been their king. This is one of the things that we see as we dive into these passages. Again, these are themes that come especially in 1 Samuel 2 as well as 2 Samuel 22. Uh, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. David uh, highlights the same things that Samuel or that uh, Hannah prays. He says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved. From my enemies. As we read through these two songs, what we realize is that there is none holy like the Lord, that there is no one like Yahweh, that Yahweh holds all of the might, all of the power that our hearts long for, the strength that we are hoping to see in this world. Oftentimes ascribed to political rulers, we ascribe to the, the ways that we gain success and notoriety, but it all belongs to Yahweh. We can sort of uh, organize the themes in a couple of different ways. You know, he talks about the holiness, the righteousness of God, uh, that he is pure in all that he does. Uh, David says in, in 2 Samuel 22, his way is perfect, his words are true. He holds, as Hannah says, all wisdom and knowledge. You know, this is the king. This is the one who is righteous and who is holy and who is wise, who is just. We see that at the end as it talks about um, uh, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, the wicked shall be cut off. Uh, he raises the poor from the dust, the needy from the ash heap, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world, he will judge it in righteousness. Uh, he is strong, or he is uh, holy, he is uh, good, he is just, he is merciful, he is strong and mighty, a deliverer, like those themes just keep coming through. He's our rock, he's our redeemer, he's our security, 
all throughout these psalms, we get a, a vision of who God is. We get a declaration. He is the one who is worthy to be praised. He is our God. He is our King. Something for us to just stop and think about it, uh, to recognize that, you know, in the midst of the longings of our heart, God is the one that we are ultimately longing for. And our lives begin and they end with Him on the throne. Uh, Our lives are oriented around His kingship. And we can either acknowledge that or we cannot acknowledge that. Uh, We can either bow to that or we don't bow to that. But the fact that God is king is unassailable. And and part of the picture that we see in the book of Samuel is to recognize uh, that he is king. It's interesting, you know, both of these songs are prayers. And uh, it's noteworthy that they both begin by exalting in the kingship of God. Uh, This is very similar to the way Jesus teaches us to pray. We did that this morning. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, we don't jump right in and start with our petitions. We don't start with ourselves, but we start with God. We start with who He is. We start with the praise that uh, belongs to Him through highlighting who, who He is. And, and there's a great mercy in that. Uh, because when we, when we come to prayer, we, we come to, with all of our needs. But if we can just stop and remember that there is one who has all the might, has all the power, has all the holiness, the justice, the mercy, the goodness, the truth, all of those things, if we can reflect on that, then we really, we really have somebody to pray to. And we really have something to, to bring. And so part of what this book is helping us to recognize is that God is the king that our hearts ultimately are longing for, who can ultimately reach in and can meet us in the places of our deepest need. Secondly, uh, we, we see that though God is the king, he also is not afraid uh, to condescend and meet us in history. Now, what do I mean by that? One of the things that's very surprising about Hannah's prayer, especially, uh, is when we come to the end. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the end of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed or the horn of his anointed. If we following the story of Hannah, she's praying for a child. Uh, she's, she's praying that, that God would deliver her, but then all of a sudden she's praying about a king. Like, like where did that come from? What, what is going on here? What is, uh, what, what is being communicated to us at this point? Well, part of it is that the Israelites had a belief, and, and an Israelite woman had a belief that God was going to actually work in history to bring a Redeemer. Uh, 
And it was going to be through the nation of Israel. And so there was the hope uh, that you would bear a child and that possibly this child would be the Mashiach, the anointed one, the one to whom God would bring all of the mercies and grace and justice and all of these different things. So what we see here, and we'll realize this a little bit more next week, is that Hannah's Uh, you know, praying initially for herself, but then she's caught up into this bigger story. And she realizes that what she's really praying is that God would come in history and that God would uh, be faithful to His promises. And this is the way that David ends his prayer as well. David is talking a lot about his own experience and the way that God had rescued him and the way that God was his rock and all of these different things. But then he concludes in verses 50 and 51, "'For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, sing praises to your name. Great salvation He brings to His King.'" And he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. What's really interesting about Samuel is that God gives them the desires of their heart, even though, even though in their asking for a king like all of the other nations, they are ostensibly rejecting the lordship of Yahweh. And that's what God says to Samuel, right? He says, they're not rejecting you when the Israelites are asking for a king. This is about in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. He's not, you're not, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. But I love them so much, and I am willing to work with them that I will actually grant them their desires and give them what they're longing for. I'll give them a king. Uh, and he goes even further than that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and, and he makes a promise that through this monarchy that he is establishing by David's line, that there would be one who would come and who would sit on the throne of David forever. He, he makes a, a covenant with them. He says, I am going to bind, so bind myself to this monarchy that it's from the line of David, it's from your house, it's from your throne, uh, that I will bring the Savior of the world. And of course, that person is Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we recognize is that God not only is the King, but even when we reject Him, He is faithful to come in and work in our circumstances in such a way uh, that he continues to work his plan of salvation. And one of the ways that we see that is by Jesus sitting on the very throne of David. Now, the third thing that we want to, uh, we want to recognize, and this is really one of those, you know, sort of dun dun dun, dun moments, you know, where we really see the, the storyline of Scripture being played forth, is that the ways that God works is often so unexpected. Uh, he works in these strange reversals, and, and we have to learn to have eyes to see and ears to hear. So, where do we see this in the text? We see it around verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, 
but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full, they have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry uh, have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who is, has many children is forlorn. Uh, or Hannah says later on, it's not by might shall a man prevail. Or we listen to David, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Your, your gentleness has made me great. There's, there's all of these themes that, that just seem out of focus. They seem off because we see it just the opposite way. It's, it is by might that men prevail. It is those who are full, who have all of the blessings of this world, whether it be children or material goods or a spouse or a position. Or, these are the ones that are blessed. But what this song, these songs are teaching us is that we have to learn to see the world through God's prism. You know, we sang about it a little bit earlier, that, that song by Cooper. You know, judge, uh, you fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Now, how can Cooper, who is struggling with depression, you know, in his life, like how can he say that? Well, he's, he hears the music. He recognized that the way that, that God works is so often unexpected. It's non-obvious. And, and we see it all through Scripture. I mean, from the very beginning, it, it's not Cain, the oldest, but it's Abel, right, who receives the blessings. It's not Esau, again, the oldest, the primogenitor that receives the inheritance, but it's Jacob. It's not Rachel, the, the beautiful one, the desirous that eventually will bring forth the seed that contains the Messiah, but it's Leah, the unloved one, the dowdy one, the one who has no form or loveliness in herself. And it's not Rome, the mighty, but it's you, Bethlehem, though you are too small to even be counted among the tribes of Judah, from you shall come one who will stand and judge. It's not to the chief priests and the scribes, but it's to a little country girl, Mary, a, a virgin in Nazareth, an out-of-the-way town. Uh, it, it's to her that the Redeemer comes. And in fact, Mary picks up these same themes. You recognize that. The Magnificat, the song that she sings, it, it's taken almost word for word from some of the things that Hannah sings, where Mary says, he's shown strength with his arms. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. She hears the music, and she recognizes that if you are going to be in God's kingdom, if you're going to see the world uh, the way that God sees the world, we have to get used to seeing the non-obvious, seeing the reversals, that weakness, that feebleness is often strength. And nowhere is this more clear than how Jesus saves the world. He doesn't save it through military might. He doesn't come in and overthrow 
the Romans, but actually he succumbs to the Romans and goes to a Roman cross. And there in the ultimate sort of rejection, forsakenness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the ultimate victory. But we're only going to understand it if we learn to hear the music and recognize the themes and recognize that this is God's music. This is God's music. Two things just really practically with that. Uh, you know, one, what, a, what an encouragement this is. You know, for somebody like Cooper, uh, William Cooper, hymn writer, He's struggling with depression, struggling with all of these different things, but, but he knows that, that God works in these things. They, they seem like these giant clouds, but there's actually hope because this is who God is. God doesn't necessarily work through all the success and all the strength, but he works in the feebleness of our human condition. So maybe you're struggling with that in, in your body, in your old age. And you think, well, I'm, I'm not worth anything anymore. But that's, that's actually not the theme song of the Scripture. That's not the melodic line. The melodic line is saying, be ready. God might be just about to break through in power. And God might be ready to do something that you never could have looked for because that's just the kind of God that He is. But it also not only encourages us in our weakness, but it also checks our hearts. Okay? What are we longing for? You know, are we longing for strength? Are you longing for success as the world uh, offers it? You know, going through, having the right education, having the right job, having the right resume. Are you longing for your ability to, to do a marathon? All of these things. Not that they're bad things in and of themselves, but they are bad things by themselves. They're bad things if we make them ultimate things. And part of what we realize when we hear the music, you notice the melodic lines, is that God is calling us to set our hearts on the things that He loves, to value the things that He values. And really what He's asking for, and this is my fourth point, is He's asking for our fealty. He's asking for us to bow the knee to His kingship, to His plan, for how it's working out in our world. And it's the question that comes to us. You know, you see Hannah, she talks about it. She says, uh, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. This is verse 9. But the wicked will be cut off by darkness. There's a relationship of the, with the Lord that's defined by faithfulness. David says a similar thing in verse 21 in chapter 22. He said, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and not wickedly departed from my God. All his rules were before me. From his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, kept myself from guilt. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. This is a little bit off-putting when we first hear it. We think, wow, David, you have a pretty high opinion of yourself. Uh, but what David is saying there is he's saying, I have entered into a covenant with the Lord. 
and I have uh, counted my righteousness to be his righteousness. I have seen my ways to be subsumed into his ways, and I have given myself to the Lord in this way. But what is so beautiful about this is that Yahweh, our great king, the anointed one, I love the bulletin cover, uh, our great king, he doesn't come to us uh, at a sword's point. You know, sometimes we think about how we give fealty to another king. It's because they conquer us at a sword point, and we, we have no other choice. He's either going to run that sword through us, or, uh, or, and, and we'll die, or we can swear fealty to him. But our Lord doesn't come to us that way. The way he actually comes to us is, as David says, uh, he shows his steadfast love to us. Our God has rescued us, verse 20 of chapter 22. He's rescued us because he delighted in us. And that is the, the big surprise about this king. This king uh, actually doesn't come to us with his sword thrust at our chest ready to take our life. But our great king comes to us having thrust the sword through his own side. Having given his life in order that we might be his friends. In order that he might set us in a broad place, in order that our relationship might be one that is characterized by hesed and steadfast love and delight. So I ask you, sisters, brothers, I don't know where you all are. Well, I know you're all right here right now. But in terms of your relationship with the Lord, you know, where, where is your fealty? You know, is your fealty to this one who is willing to die for you in order that he might be your king? Or are you dying because you're serving a king who can't give you life? Uh, who won't give you? Who doesn't delight in you? He just wants to lord it over you. This is the question that comes to all of us. And we're going to keep hearing it. There's a lot of practical things in Samuel. We're going to hear about things like parenting. We're going to hear about, uh, you know, false idols and uh, all sorts of different things, ruling and serving and uh, worship and slaying giants, all, all sorts of really practical things. But at the heart of it all, at the heart of it all is this, uh, is this invitation to acknowledge Yahweh as your king. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the shape that it takes. We thank you for the way that it comes into our life. Um, and Lord, we thank you for this invitation, uh, an invitation to not submit ourselves to one who has the knife at our throat and is wanting to take our life, but to submit ourselves to one who is willing to give his life because you delighted in us. And you would have us for your subjects to walk in the ways that you lay out before us that are broad and beautiful. Uh, that you would have us to recognize the melodic line of your kingdom in which the weak are made strong, uh, the hungry are filled, uh, and um, 
and uh, the, the humble are exalted. So, Lord, we pray that we would hail you as our King and that we would recognize all the good that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.